Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our uh, webinar today about moving to the Microsoft Cloud. My name is Sabrina, and I'm on the marketing team here at Stoneridge Software. I'm joined by Scott and Amanda from the Stoneridge team as well. Uh, Scott will be presenting and giving you a lot of great information about what moving to the cloud means. And Amanda will be here to help answer any questions that you may have as well. Um, everyone is muted. If you have questions as we go throughout, go ahead and ask those in the questions pane. And at the end of today's presentation, I will pass those along to Scott. Additionally, this webinar is being recorded, so you will receive a copy of the recording following the event today. So with that, I'll go ahead and hand it over to Scott. Thank you, Sabrina. I appreciate it. So it's great to be on the call today. Uh, I know we've got only about 15 minutes of content here. So what I'm trying to do for you guys is give you as much information as possible, uh, because this is a really big topic, obviously, that's been coming up recently. Uh, a little bit of background just on me, just really quickly here. So uh, Scott Frapier, I'm a pre-sales architect at Stone Stoneridge Software. Uh, my role focuses day in and day out on cloud transitions for upgrades or switchers is what we call them inside of our organization and also for new implementations. So this is a very common theme that I've heard from a lot of different prospects and a lot of different, different existing uh, Dynamics customers as well. And I want to address this at a holistic level as well. So that way we can really understand, you know, what, what are some of the aspects that you need to be looking for as part of this transition and what concerns your executive team may have or leadership team may have with this. Uh, background wise, I've got around 18 years of experience within ERP. So it's been really fun to watch the transition from on-prem to cloud. Uh, and it's something hopefully I can at least teach you guys a little bit about today as part of this presentation. So some of the topics that we're going to cover here, I'm just going to quickly go through this. Obviously, understanding security is a critical component when you're looking at your cloud deployment options. I want to make sure you guys understand exactly what Microsoft has from a security perspective. I want to talk about scalability, something that we call elasticity inside of the cloud is a feature that, you know, typically you haven't had as an organization, but it's a really powerful capability that you should be leveraging potentially moving forward here. I want to talk a little bit about multi-tenancy um, so that you guys can kind of understand what does that really mean um, and how is it a benefit to you as a customer um, versus somebody like Microsoft that's building a platform. Uh, and then lastly, talk a little bit about those upgrades and what you need to do to be able to be successful with that. And then open the floor for questions for the last 15 minutes um, so that you guys can just ask some of the questions and voice some of your concerns so that we can uh, address them as part of this presentation. So let's jump into security. There, um, obviously with Microsoft Dynamics 365, the very first thing I'm sharing here uh, is basically what we call our infinity loop that kind of displays obviously what areas we actually need to think about when it comes to cloud components and security. So with finance and operations over here, obviously we need to understand how is that impacted? How do we actually integrate with all these different applications and how do we secure this from both a company perspective, meaning your users logging in, and also from a Microsoft perspective, meaning the Microsoft employees that are getting into the data centers that are doing these hardware and physical changes to the actual environment. What we're talking about today covers all of this as we go through the presentation. So I wanted to show what we are actually talking about as part of this. And you can see from Office 365 all the way to AppSource that's integrated inside of Finance and Operations or even Business Central, we have a lot of capabilities and a lot of security that needs to be considered as part of this. 
So what are the main areas that Microsoft really focuses on for security? And I wanted to highlight the three that you're generally going to hear from Microsoft. And that is they provide a secure way for identity management. They also provide a way to secure apps and data that are transitioning from both your customer site and also internally inside of the actual Microsoft Azure platform. And then understanding how is Microsoft ensuring that that infrastructure, that physical security layer is also being maintained as part of that process. From the identity perspective, the big thing that you need to know is that Dynamics is integrated with Azure Active Directory. And that's a really, really important distinction because it provides that identity protection that you need. It provides the compliance as well. So if you're a CFR Part 21 type certification that you require with it, that compliance information is actually there. And then it also differentiates between customer and partner identities in Active Directory so that when you need help, a partner is able to assist without actually seeing your data or potentially causing uh, any type of an issue where you need to give them access to do that. Azure Active Directory also allows for things such as multi-factor authentication. So you're moving now away from the security model where you just use a username and password. You're using a password and then you're having a notification sent to your phone that allows you to then access the Dynamics application or Power BI or Office 365. That's the importance of the Azure Active Directory in providing that secure identity. It also allows for federation concepts, and that's a concept that we talk about every now and then internally, meaning being able to take your username and information from your on-premise implementation and deploying that to cloud as well, federating those authentication aspects with it. So secure identity is a really important part of it that's part of an actual deployment process. The other aspect of this is the secure apps and data. So when we're talking about what are we actually communicating back and forth between you as the customer and then the Microsoft data centers, what is Microsoft doing to ensure that that is, that is secured basically? And there are a couple of different ways that we handle that. Uh, the first obviously is encryption. When you start looking at uh, uh, any of the communication between Dynamics 365 and your site, everything is encrypted. So you have SSL 128-bit encryption that works with the web browser that provides then that value and that safety for that data going back and forth between the pipe that you have. Now, obviously with Azure, there are other things that you can do as well to even go further beyond that. You can have express routes set up with Azure. So therefore, you actually have a point-to-point -point connection with the Azure data center. These are options you have as a customer to bring it to another level in terms of that security that you may need to manage. Another important distinction is that the data the data repository, so what we call Azure blobs, are actually logically isolated, which means that they are segregated from other customers. So when you actually go into your Azure portal and then try to look for a different customer's virtual machines, you're not going to see that because the architecture of Azure logically separates that data information. There's also the aspect of having intrusion detection systems that are actually running as well, that are monitoring the type of traffic that's going on and looking for patterns in terms of a hacker or somebody 
breaking into an actual environment that are being maintained by Microsoft. And we'll talk a little bit more about that from the infrastructure perspective. And then there's also these handling and disposal procedures that are being applied then so that if a hard drive fails, for example, Microsoft is destroying those hard drives by physically actually destroying the platters that are in that hard drive as well. So that way you can guarantee that your data is not going to be shared or retrieved by an external party. The infrastructure aspect of it, when we start looking at the intrusion detection, there are, there are a couple of aspects, and I really want to highlight this because I, I think there's a very common misconception with people that your on-prem installation is more secure than what Microsoft has. And that is pretty much a flat-out lie at this point. When it comes to what your actual, if you actually are a network guy and you, you watch what's happening on your actual router, you're being pinged from China, from all these different places continually on your corporate network. And generally, most companies are not in the business of actually securing their actual infrastructure by providing intrusion detection or having an actual, what we call a cyber defense operations center or CDOC um, inside of your organization because it's timely and costly and that's not something that customers generally have. A lot of customers don't even know that they're being hacked. I mean, they're able to break in and they don't have anything that's tracking any of this information until it shows up on the dark web. So there are aspects here in terms of the infrastructure that Microsoft is maintaining that go far and beyond what you could as a customer maintain, which is blocking unauthorized traffic, making sure to mitigate denial of service attacks, which are DDoS attacks, having security for Azure platforms, you could be a global admin. Maybe you only have one person that has that role, but then you have different rights or roles that are assigned to it. The threat management perspective as well through the CDOC that Microsoft has, they have a group of people that are constantly monitoring the Azure platform, which is what Dynamics runs on. And then lastly, the physical security with it. I mean, we're getting to a point now where a lot of data centers, they're actually experimenting with actually having data centers underwater. And so if you think about physical security from that perspective, it's a little bit harder than to break into that environment. And even on the other environments where they actually have containers that they ship via rail, those are also physically locked down and restricted as well for that access. So that's kind of the security aspect with it. So let's talk about the scalability. Scalability of Dynamics obviously is pretty cool. We've got a, a solution that's built on the Azure platform. So whether or not you're using Business Central or if you're using finance and operations, all the servers on the back end obviously are using the Azure platform. It's designed with that performance and scalability aspect in mind. So classically, if you're on an AX2012 instance, just as an example, and you need to add more memory or new configurations in terms of CPU count, you name it, you got to buy a new server and then you've got to transfer everything over as part of that that process. Well, you know, with virtual machines, it may make it a little bit easier for you. But the net result from the Azure perspective, I can go from one type of an instance. We'll call it like, for example, a D13 instance to a D17 instance with the click of a button, which means I can allocate more resources during high demand times compared to when at night I may not have any employees actually accessing the, the, the said system. So the other aspect of this too then is going to be the integration of scalability. Because we are now at a point where we're talking about technology scalability, but think about your end users and how they can actually access the system. Think of all the other employees that can now provide that integration or that data value to your actual organization. 
These are all aspects that are covered as part of that cloud transition that you should be thinking about. The other aspect of this that you've probably heard is gonna be the multi-tenancy aspect of it. Multi-tenancy is a concept that basically allows for you to create one application that then can be shared with multiple customers. So from a platform perspective, I'll pick on Business Central as the example here, which is this little brother to finance and operations. For example, in that situation, Microsoft can spin up one server and they can have 20 customers connect to it and all those customers never see each other, but it's running on the same physical hardware in the back end for it. It's logically separated in the application. Now, from a customer's perspective, there's not an immediate notice in terms of uh, a benefit there other than the fact that ERP and CRM solutions that do this concept force partners and customers to consider how they go through a customization process. Because obviously you need to make a change that doesn't affect other customers as part of that deployment. The beauty of this is that this is actually extending to other areas then as well, so that, that as a partner, when you're going through an upgrade process, we wanna have a conversation with you to understand what those customizations are and which ones are truly invasive, which would, be un, uh, which would not be something you'd want in a multi-tenant environment, and which ones can be redesigned so that your upgrade path is easier as part of that. So just something to note is that, for example, with finance and operations, you generally have your own set of servers that are isolated that are not a multi-tenant solution. Whereas with Dynamics 365 for sales or even Business Central, those are multi-tenant solutions. So it's kind of up to you on how you want to deploy that and what you want to do with it. But the net result is that this is a benefit from a platform perspective, from Microsoft's maintenance side, and then also from a partner's perspective on what we need to do for customizations and what we should be doing that is not invasive that could hurt your upgrade lifecycle. The last portion of this obviously is going to be upgrades. So as part of that cloud transition, we've talked about our security, our scalability, um, our upgrade portion of this obviously is critical as well. A couple things I want to highlight with you on this conversation. The first, obviously, is that with Dynamics, we have two release cycles, uh, what we call our spring and fall release in April and October, where they're adding functionality to the application. With this multi-tenancy or extension-based model in mind that they're using, obviously, you need to, if you make any changes to a system, you need to be able to transition those changes for each of these releases twice a year. And that's what Microsoft has tackled as part of this upgrade lifecycle. No longer are we doing core code changes that actually break the system that version lock you. We are creating extension-based systems that then allow for us basically to change the, the underneath platform and then upgrade it as we go through that process. So that is a huge advantage in terms of the cost that you have for maintaining your actual infrastructure and application architecture. And if you think about it, it's been out there forever. Look at Microsoft Windows. You go ahead and you buy AutoCAD, you add it and you install it. And then when you upgrade to the new version of Windows, generally those applications work with the new version. So if you go from Windows 8 with AutoCAD 2014, and then you go to Windows 10, AutoCAD 2014 will generally work. Now there's always upgrades that they add with the new features that you have, but you could be on Office 2013 right now if you want to as well on Windows 10. So those are options that you have that are extension based, which is the way that the actual platform is going. And then lastly, customers that want to stay on the actual version, what we have are partner tools that help with that upgrade too. 
because there's always going to be the inevitable change that could break an extension because maybe Microsoft removes a feature that that extension required. But we have tools that are in place that Microsoft has created that help aid with the identification of those extensions that need to be updated to support the new version. And that information is broadcasted by Microsoft ahead of time as part of that life cycle, as part of that upgrade life cycle. So just something to note is that these upgrades, you just need to start thinking about, we're not trying to version lock anymore, we're trying to get into the path of being able to do quick, easy, and seamless upgrades for your organization with minimal or zero downtime as part of that process. So I hope, I know it's been 15 minutes, that's a lot of information to kind of go through, um, kind of a brain dump that I had with it. I wanted to open the floor for any questions that you guys may have um, so that either Amanda or I or Sabrina can answer them. We did have one question come in so far, Scott. Uh, Let's see, um, can you have Azure automatically change the VM from different types automatically? So for an example, D1 during night and D9 during the day. You can, that's called the auto scaling capability that we have on Azure. So you can do it inside of the Azure portal to define what those time periods are. You can also create complex scripts if you want to that automatically connect to a, an API, an application programming interface um, that connects to Azure that you could have it based on scale too. An example would be, let's say you are having a thousand transactions and then it jumps up to 10,000. You can have it trigger where it will then automatically then resize the virtual machine for you as part of that transaction volume increase. So there are tools out there that allow for you to do exactly that, which is the beauty of the elasticity of the Azure cloud. Great, thank you. Um, one more question, uh, maybe Amanda can help with this one. Uh, can you go over what is the pricing for D365 FinOps? Um, yeah, if we're looking at um, implementation costs versus licensing costs. So obviously the licensing costs cover um, depending on what type of users you have. So how much functionality they have, there are different levels, same as what you have um, in AX 2012 now, uh, if that's what you're using. From an implementation perspective, the cost, um, it varies greatly based off of what you're gonna do in the system. What we do at Stone Ridge is we like to get into um, a process that we call an enterprise process review with our clients first. And what that does is we send in some consultants to sit with your groups, talk through what you're doing today, what's the functionality in D365, where are the gaps, what does that look like, what customization you know, are we going to have to do? What can we use out of the box? Um, and from there, we're able to come out with a, um, a pretty, pretty close quote and estimate on what it would look like um, to get the upgrade done. So not sure which side we were going for there on the cost, but there's different ways. Feel free to reach out to us if you need um, additional details too. Great, and uh, we'll, we'll wait for a couple more minutes here to see if any other questions come in. We're happy to answer any questions you have about the cloud or D365 finance and operations. Um, I will mention that we do have an offer right now where you can get a personalized customizations report. Basically, our consultants will put um, a code on your system and pull a report of all the customizations you have right now. Um, and an estimate of how many hours it will take to transition those. So if you're interested in that at all, you can reach out to us. I'll send a link in the chat window too where you can get more information and sign up for that. All right, we did have one more question come in here. Uh, can you talk to data at rest security, i.e. is the data encrypted and does Microsoft have access to our data without our permission? 
That's a really good question. So obviously with compliancy, especially a medical device, this has been a question that's come up in the past as well. So the Azure service blobs where the, the, the data is actually stored, so the virtual machine that's there, there is encryption that is occurring as that data is actually being stored inside of those blobs. So there is an actual encryption method that occurs as part of any data that's being saved on a hard drive inside of an Azure environment. The other aspect, remember, as well, is that there's encryption that happens between the data centers because you may have multiple machines because you want to create a geo-redundant format or topology, basically, for your actual servicing. That is also encrypted between the data centers. So natively, there is a lot of encryption that we have that drives then that security. So therefore, you know that your data is secured. And in terms of Microsoft being able to access the environment, there are permissions that are required to go through and do that process. More specifically, for example, I do demos all the time and there is a environment that I have, my Azure environment, and Microsoft did not have access to my finance and operations demo instance until I physically went in and gave them security to be able to access that data. So it's not something that they can just natively just quickly click on it and then get to your data as part of it. Because obviously for a lot of the different certifications that are out there as well, you can't have that type of access. And Microsoft has a trust center that you may want to check out. Uh, just type in Microsoft Trust Center and Bing. And from there, you should be able to see all the information in terms of the compliancy and the certification process that they have to go through for the for being compliant for those different certifications. I'd really recommend that you check that out because that will outline even more information for you on what data security is there and also what hardware or infrastructure-based security for physical access is there as well. Great, thanks. Uh, we did have a question come in. Is the personalized customization report tied to signing any agreement to go with Stoneridge? And the answer to that is no, there's no strings, no strings attached. You don't have to sign anything agreeing that we'll be your partner. It's just something that we're offering to help people uh, make that transition. Uh, another question for you, Scott. Uh, please talk about geolocation. We have three locations around the world how to provide the local experience? Yeah, that's a really good question. So it's it's coming up more often now too. So geo-redundant obviously is a little bit different than geolocation. Um, geo-redundant is where you actually have it or your data, basically your, your Azure or your, your we'll say uh, finance and operations instance is replicated to another physical location in case there is a major disaster. So if the East Coast had a major flood and that data center was taking out, on the West Coast, you would actually have that information as well accessible so that in time of failure, you can fail it over to that other location and not lose your data. Now, when you start looking at geo um, location for accessing the information, generally you're doing an analysis of those latency or ping times that you have between the actual sites. And what we have the capability of doing is actually hosting the finance and operations, we'll just pick on that as an example, the finance and operations database that you have in different areas such as West Coast, Central, 
uh, US Central, Canada, because there are also restrictions, not only in terms of what you do from connectivity, but also by geographic regions that you're maintaining. So we do support that. We can have multiple instances in different areas. There's, there's just configuration that needs to be thought through with that, meaning you may have multiple companies then in different actual geo-located areas, and you can do that with the Dynamics platform. Are you guys there still? Yep, I'm still here. Yep. We have just a couple more minutes left if anybody else has any other questions. Um, if not, we hope you are going to be able to join us for another upcoming webinar. We're going to be focusing on uh, several more topics as it relates to upgrading from AX to Dynamics 365 Finance and Operations. Uh, I will send you all links to those webinars, and we hope that you're able to join us for those as well. All right, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Thank you, Scott and Amanda. And uh, if you guys think of any questions uh, after this webinar, you can go ahead and reach out to us, and we're happy to answer those at that time. Awesome. Thank you all for your time. Really appreciate it.